We reject the ideology of globalism, and we embrace the doctrine of patriotism. Not only will this tax plan pay for itself, but it will pay down debt. There are moral and legal obligation questions that I think we'll have to wrestle with as a society. When we as people go wobbly on the truth, we go wobbly on America. All you have to do is look at the numbers, look at what we've done. And this is only the beginning. Good morning, everyone. You're tuned in to Evidence of Design on 100.9 FM WXIR in Rochester. It is Saturday, March 20th, 2021. My name is Jason Taylor, host of Evidence of Design, and I'm joined in WXIR's studios by my good friends and co-hosts, Matt Treadwell and Mary Lawrence. Good morning. Evidence of design is all about critiquing income and wealth inequality. We think there's way too much economic inequality in society, and that has caused lots of different problems that are sort of pervading throughout the body politic, pervading throughout society, manifesting in increasing rates of depression and anxiety, increasing political polarization, increasing rates of hate crimes and violence against minorities, increasing rates of homelessness and the lack of, uh, you know, increasing food insecurity. All of these different problems in society stemming, we think, largely from economic inequality and economic policies that prioritize greed and profit over human needs and human well-being. So on this show, we talk about where that inequality comes from, what its effects are, and what we can do about it. Thanks for joining us. On today's show, we will be talking about several reforms proposed in New York State to our justice system. That was one of, you know, that's one of the systems that I didn't mention in the introduction, but the justice system too is a product we believe of uh, our economic system, where increasingly, you know, well, the United States is the largest prison population in the world, and it is disproportionately made up of people who are poor, people who are minorities, and so there is not an accident there. It's a result, we believe, of intentional policies politically and also the result of bad economic policies that lead people to material precarity. So on today's show, we're talking about several proposals in New York State in the legislature right now to reform the justice system to not only save New York billions of dollars because we are facing a budget crisis, but also, of course, most importantly, to get people out of prison who don't necessarily need to be there and to get them and their families and the rest of society on a right track towards healing and productivity. These are pretty exciting reforms. One of them just passed this week in the U.S. Senate. They passed the HALT Solitary Confinement Act, otherwise known as the Humane Alternatives to Long-Term. 
many folks have probably heard of solitary confinement as a, as a punishment for for offenders in prison where you essentially get locked up in a very tiny cell on your own for a long time. That's akin, I would argue, and many other people would argue, to torture. Human beings are not meant to be locked in their own tiny cells for prolonged periods of time. And it's a tactic used by governments and organizations to torture people. And if our justice system is doing that, that's not great. And most importantly, it doesn't heal the person. It doesn't help the person become a better person than they were when they committed a crime, right? And so uh, the, the New York State Senate passed that uh, legislation this week. That's exciting. It still has to be signed into law by the governor and so on and so forth. We'll see if that happens. But there are others we want to talk about as well, like proposals to close some prisons in New York, some, um, some options to give prisoners more chances at parole, and also proposals to legalize marijuana. We'll be talking about all that on more on today's show. You can participate as well, though. We definitely want that by giving us a ring at 585-219-8889. Again, 585-219-8889. You can also get in touch with us at our social media handles, Radio EOD. Mary, are we on Facebook at this point? We just went live on Facebook. Sorry, my mic was off. Uh, we are live on Facebook, and so you can put in a comment on Facebook, and we can respond on air. And our Facebook handle is Radio EOD. That, of course, stands for Radio Evidence of Design. You can also email us at radioeod at gmail.com. The show is also live-streamed uh, later on on WX and RCTV at Spectrum Channel 1301, rctvmediacenter.org, Apple TV, Fire Stick, and Roku. After a short break, we're going to get right into talking about New York State justice reforms here on Evidence of Design on 100.9 FM, WXIR. You're listening to Evidence of Design on 100.9 FM, WXIR in Rochester. Let's talk about reforms to the New York State justice system that may be gaining steam here and have opportunities to pass. What's the context? Well, New York State, Democrats are in control of the legislative branch and the executive branch. That means, in theory, and their, and their control of such branches are to the extent that they could pass legislation if they're all on board. So they don't necessarily need Republican support. Why is that important? Is because Democrats, as a party, tend to be in favor of a justice system that helps to uh, get people back into society to be productive citizens. They tend to be in favor of not packing prisons with criminals. They tend to be in favor of providing alternatives to uh, justice for individuals who have committed crimes. Whereas Republicans tend to be in favor of a more, well, conservative or traditional approach to justice, meaning uh, lock them up. And they, you know, people deserve to be punished. And people, uh, you know, it's not, it, they have their chances, they have their time to be productive. And if they didn't make the right choices, then they deserve to do the time. If you can't do the time, don't do the crime, right? So those might be uh, exaggerated pictures of the two parties' view on the justice system, but I think it kind of paints 
a right direction. And, and that's important because, again, Democrats are in control in New York State. And so we have an opportunity now to lessen the reliance on the prison system in our justice system, which tends to cost tens of billions of dollars a year. And again, the United States has the highest prison population uh, in the world. It's a free democracy, you know, as a supposed free democracy, which uh, makes us wonder, well, do we just have a lot of criminals? Do Is our population made up of a whole bunch of criminals? Are we bad people? Or, uh, yes, or, we are. Yeah, I mean, well, that's obvious. The last one. Right. I mean, clearly. But, uh, or, you know, do we just have bad policies? When it or comes are to we system? trying to suppress the vote of millions of people? And yeah, and criminalize things that perhaps shouldn't be criminalized to the extent that they are, such as like marijuana or something like that. Basically, the United States criminalizes poverty, and that's a problem, right? And poverty has been punished by the justice system for decades, uh, and there are efforts to make that not be so, and I think those are good efforts. What are those efforts? Well, right now in New York State, there are several things on the table. Most of what we're talking about comes from a new report by the Center for Justice. They're out of Columbia University. They study, well, the justice system, and their report is called Unlocking Billions, a fiscal analysis of pending justice reforms in New York State. And that report outlines, well, several provisions that could make it so that New York State could raise billions of dollars in revenue each year by not spending that on the justice system, on the prison system, while also allowing people to be more productive in society by becoming reintegrated into the social family structure. Some of those reforms are elder parole. This would allow people who are age 55 years or older and who have served in prison already for 15 years. So these are people who are older and who have been in prison a long time to automatically give them an opportunity to go up before a parole board and get a hearing on whether or not they can be up for parole, meaning they could be released from prison while still under you know some sort of supervi supervisory structure and be released back into society determinant on whether or not they can stay as a productive citizen as however that needs to be defined that's a that's a big deal allowing older folks who've been in prison for a long time to re-enter society it's not guaranteed the parole board could say no but at least they'd have that option according to the center for justice this could save new york 189 million dollars annually and save two billion dollars over the next decade Apparently, according to the Center for Justice, it costs $170,000 to incarcerate an older person per year. What does, I mean, do you have a sense of what that age means? Like, what is older person? I think they're using 55 years or older. Okay. And I'm not sure if this is something that you looked into, but do you happen to know about what percentage of the prison population is, like, would be considered an elder? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it's in the report here. Mm -hmm. uh, it says there are more than 1,100 people over the age of 55 who have served 15 years in prison and are not yet eligible for release. So according to the Center for Justice's report, there are currently 1,100 people who could be up for parole if this elder parole goes through. So you could multiply 1,100 people times $170,000, and you can see that that's a lot of money. And of course, not everyone might get parole, but at least gives people the opportunity, right? These are older folks. Older folks who leave prison tend to have less recidivism, meaning they tend to commit less follow-up crimes or whatnot. And so the argument is, 
let these people have a chance again back in society, especially because they've already served 15 years in prison. Right. That is one of the proposals that has been in, uh, at least debated in, in the New York State Legislature since at least 2019. That's on the table. Another one also deals with parole. It's called the Fair and Timely Parole. This would essentially change the criteria that forms the basis of the parole board's decision-making. So uh, we won't get too much into the weeds here. If anyone knows you know, a lot about the justice system or has experience in the justice system, whether being incarcerated or not, give us a call, 585-219-8889. But this fair and timely parole change would essentially make it more uh, amenable to granting parole to individuals who have committed crimes course there's no guarantee it would have to be based on certain criteria to make sure that the individual wouldn't be a threat and that the individual as they are now in the prison system are you know have good behavior and are productive and are making steps to better their lives according to the center for justice it costs sixty thousand dollars per year to incarcerate someone on average so it costs less money on average to incarcerate someone who's younger than older but still that's sixty thousand dollars per year to incarcerate someone and if the parole system was changed so that more people have the opportunity to be eligible for and get parole, then the state could save around $300 million annually. So $3 billion over the next decade, giving more people the opportunity to be up for and get parole and re-enter society and be productive citizens. So those are two changes to the parole system that are on the table in the New York State Legislature right now, elder parole and fair and timely parole. Now let's get to something that was just passed this week by the New York State Senate. This was the HALT Solitary Confinement Act. This would change how the state uses solitary confinement. Again, that's essentially, I would argue, a form of torture where you leave an individual alone in a small cell for a prolonged period of time with no contact with anyone else, and often no windows, just them and their brain to fight each other. <laughs> aye, aye, aye. It's uh, awful, you know, when I think of, like, the scariest things that could happen to me or something. Like, the idea of solitary confinement is, uh, is horrifying. And so uh, this HALT Solitary Confinement Act would <laughs> end solitary confinement beyond 15 days. So you couldn't be put in solitary confinement for longer than 15 days. Oh, 15 days? That's, it says 15 uh, years in the document. Yeah, it's my, my bad note. Um, but 15 days is a, it's a long time. Still a long time, but you couldn't be in solitary longer than 15 days. It would ban solitary confinement for some categories of people. I believe those younger than 21 or those older age 55 and create more alternatives to solitary confinement or at least change solitary confinement such that you might be alone in the cell for most of the day, but still have opportunities to be connected uh, through, you know, group classes or some sort of, um, you know, beneficial educational opportunity the other time. What's the thinking behind even having something like that? even having solitary confinement yeah yeah i think you know i think the the reason is that people who are in solitary confinement tends to be a danger to everyone else in the prison system so they've uh, victimized other inmates they get into fights or they're just the most violent offenders and they need to be put away because they can't manage themselves even with anyone else uh, in the system with them and so lock them up by themselves and that'll solve the issue I'm not saying that there are people who don't need um, their own cell, right? Or people who 
have a hard time dealing with others and really need some work, mental health work, and also uh, just the ability to reintegrate themselves as a productive human being, right? I'm not saying that's not an issue. Just, just the idea of solitary confinement as like punishing someone or fixing someone, uh, it tends to not be productive to so-called fixing a human being who has problems. And it also just... Um, it just it also just costs a lot of money and leave someone there well i mean to like is the intention even to fix someone or is the intention just to separate them from the rest of the prison population like i think there's good argument for everyone having their own space which doesn't exist in prisons mm-hmm. um at least not in the prison system in the united states but yeah i guess my question is more like what's what is the actual goal of solitary confinement i don't get the feeling that it's actually to fix that person just like the prison system is not actually designed to help people get better and come back into society it's just a way for them to be separated from the rest of society which is also something that we can argue against right well, let's hear what senator state senator samra brooke had to say she was recently elected last year and her district encompasses part of Rochester uh, in support of the passage of the Halt Solitary Confinement Act this week. She released a statement that says, quote, as chair of the Senate Mental Health Committee, I am deeply concerned about ways that solitary confinement impacts a person's mental health. The Halt Solitary Confinement Act will end the most harmful uses of isolation and solitary confinement currently in practice throughout our state. Under current solitary confinement laws, incarcerated people in New York State can be held in complete isolation for up to 23 hours a day. Solitary confinement has been shown to cause cause hallucinations, panic attacks, paranoia, and difficulties with thinking, concentration, and memory. And when we're force and when we force young adults, elders, or people with disabilities into solitary confinement, the impacts are exacerbated. The experience of being incarcerated is already one marked by violence, trauma, and injustice. I am proud that the Senate has passed the Halt Solitary Confinement Act, bringing New York State one step closer to ending this use of this cruel and unnecessary punishment. Again, that was a statement released by State Senator Samber Brook in regards to the passage of the Halt Act. It strikes me as uh, one step in the right direction. That doesn't seem like a bad piece of legislation to reduce our reliance on solitary confinement as part of our justice system. Do you also have a sense on how common solitary is? Um, Good question. Let me scroll through this document here. Again, (laughs) let's plug the Center for Justice report, Unlocking Billions. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I I don't have the the figures immediately in front of me, but... Mary, if even one person is in solitary confinement, is that not too much? <laughs> no, that's fair. I was just kind of wondering, like, what what potential impact this really does have. I I really don't have a sense of how often people get put in solitary confinement. For what reasons? I mean, obviously, you listed some reasons, like being violent uh, to other inmates, people yeah, in people. inmates or or other people in the prison. Um, I'm sure that if you're violent against the CO that you get thrown in solitary. But um, yeah, I'm just trying to think of of how many inmates it does impact. Like you said, obviously, even if it impacts one person and causes those issues, then it's something that we should be talking about But uh, and, and putting a stop to. But I am kind of curious 
how common it is for people to experience this. Yeah. Also, 15 days still sounds like a really long time. It sounds like a super long time. Well, yeah, that's, I mean, that's like quarantine. It's just like, imagine yeah. having a COVID scare getting told to stay by yourself, but then also not having internet or a way to reach anyone or like any Definitely. other way to contact people. It's like people know. I mean, now people have a taste firsthand of what that might feel like and only a part of it, you know? Yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a really strong point. Imagine just being in your closet for 15 days like you know no cell phone no nothing just you and the four walls of your closet that doesn't sound great yeah and you mentioned too that solitary is 23 hours a day do you know what happens for that other hour is it like (laughs) just outside time by yourself or is there actual contact with anyone oh i don't know i'm sure it's up to each prison to have their own policy going on there you know or is it like you're asleep and someone comes and watches you (laughs) i I don't know yeah it's It's uh they move you to a different cell it's also solitary (laughs) (laughs) the cell just gets smaller each time but yeah we're joking in bad way that's yeah i don't know it's just um doesn't it's not great you know it doesn't it doesn't sound it does yeah i mean mary goes to you're hitting the nail on the head in terms of like why we have prisons what's the point right yeah I, I think that the point of prisons would be to try to uh somehow <laughs> you know heal the harm caused by uh criminal activity or activity that breaks the social compact and you know lessens the health of our society which tends to be criminal activity yeah and you you brought up jason that it's like it's not like a good thing to make fun about something like this but i i would counter like how do you not make fun of something like this when it's just so egregiously uh, obscene in its treatment of people? It's so ridiculous that before this thing was even passed, the limit was over 15 days in solitary. And just imagine putting somebody through that is something that I don't think I'm even able to comprehend. Yeah. You know, actually, if you don't mind, I'd like to share just a quick anecdote. Um, Because I obviously grew up seeing i grew up in a prison town in the northern part of new york uh there are currently three prisons in that town one is like a super high security and two are kind of i think they're lower or medium security prisons um and many people's parents work in them but so i grew up with this sort of image of the american prison with like the cold cell and uh, cellmates and stuff. And, and I studied in Belgium when I was in high school. And I remember uh, we went to an exhibition that was about incarceration. And I was so struck by the images of the insides of prisons in Belgium because they just looked like bedrooms. Mm-hmm. And it was like people were taken, you know, out of their homes and for, for committing a crime, but they weren't treated like... Uh, like livestock on an agricultural farm it like they were still treated like human beings with the understanding that they had you know done a bad thing in society and needed help and needed some time away to you know come back to themselves or get the assistance that they needed but they weren't cut like their connection to society wasn't cut off they were allowed to have books and tv and People here are allowed to have some of that, but it's it's getting less and less. Like I read actually recently that, um, you know, people used to be able to get letters and you could get the actual letter. 
And now in prisons, you don't get the actual physical letter that someone wrote to you. You get a copy of it. So you can't even touch the same paper that oh. your loved one has touched anymore. And that, you know, that that's really dehumanizing. Um, and I just remember being so surprised, like, wow, it's incredible to see that prisons can be something else. And I never knew that until I was, you know, 18 years old. Um, but we have a huge potential to change the way that the prison system works and to rethink how we treat people who have done a crime in society and what that means and why they're doing it. Um, and the way that we're doing it right now is really, like we said, just to separate people and that's it. Yeah. I have two points in response to that, Mary. That's really powerful. This is evidence of design on 100.9 FM WXIR in Rochester. The two points are this. One, a long time ago on the show, like 100 episodes ago, two years ago, we covered uh, one mass shooting in the Scandinavian country. I don't remember. Norway. I think it was in Norway. Norway. Oslo. Yeah, there there was a mass shooting there maybe a decade ago, and and the you know the, the individual who committed the acts horrible atrocity, horrible atrocity, and then he's been in prison since then, and like there's been photos of his prison where just like you described, Mary, in a European fashion, it looks like a a small home, you know, and th there was reports of him complaining that like he wanted, you know, he was playing like PS3 games, PS2 games, PS2 games, yeah, and he's like the horror, he's like this is, you know, this treatment isn't okay, like PS2 games are old, I want like newer PlayStation games to play, <laughs> PS3, like literally, that, there was like reports on that recently, you know, and as an American, and he like, was, this was a guy who murdered like 80 people, yeah, like horrible atrocities, you know, um, in America, he'd probably be put to death, depending on what state it was, right, he'd probably be already dead. Well, I mean, well, under the Trump administration, he would have been. Yeah. Well, maybe not because well, he's white. So. Yeah. Well, maybe not because the death penalty takes 25 years to actually, you know, yeah. once it happens. So anyways, not saying that should be expedited, but it's just the whole system's messed up. So anyways, as an American, you know, seeing that, it's just sort of, you know, even I'm like, what's going on with, like, this is absurd. This guy's a monster. He's in, he's, he's inhuman. But obviously he's still human. You know, I don't agree with what he did at all. And. But who am I to say what should be done with him in terms of whether his life should be taken from him? That's not my call, you know. Um, but anyways, like the, the point in these more European models is to try to recidivize people. Uh, well, no, not recidivize people. Um, re enable people to... Rehabilitate. <laughs> yeah, rehabilitate, yeah. The point is to get them back in the prison system. <laughs> the point is to get them out of the prisons so that they commit, commit more crimes. <laughs> right, that, that way we turn them more profit. Yeah. <laughs> nope. <laughs> so rehabilitate. <laughs> yeah, them. I think rehabilitate is what we're looking for. <laughs> That's the word. <laughs> but that actually connects to my second point, Mary, which is that it's. I was doing um, some work with Darian Lehman, the... The, the news director for uh, Reclaim the Narrative and WXIR here. And I discovered to some research, because I'm lucky to have not been exposed to the prison system, right? I don't have close family members there. I've, I've never had to deal with it. So I'm lucky to have ignorance about it. And I think that's, in most of society, that's how it's meant to be, right? You don't know what happens in the system. But anyways, I discovered that there's this uh, sort of software that's used in so many prisons now where... If inmates want to send an email, to receive an email, to get a letter, to go online, to, to, to do a phone call, they have to pay. Every single thing is commoditized in, in the prison system. It is so disgusting how it's broken down into a video game. And I mean that in the worst sense of a video game. Like everything is locked behind a paywall or an access system. And uh, 
by the way, prisoners don't make a lot of money. And their families that prisoners come from tend to not make a lot of money either. And so to do any, you know, to, to, to communicate with your loved one in the prison system, which one would think would be a really important way to rehabilitate them to be like, golly, I can't wait to get out of here to go back to a, being a productive member of society is locked behind a paywall so that the, that the prison system can make more and more money and extract it out of the already poor and vulnerable people in the society is utterly disgusting. And I remember reading this and looking into the system and it's, it's, it's abhorrent. You know, it's funny how so many people, just everyday people, seem to recognize that rich people always seem to get away with uh, crimes that they commit. You know, you hire a good, you're able to hire a good lawyer, you never serve any time. It's funny that they're able to make that connection, but then not make the subsequent connection that, oh, the prison system as it exists today is really just built around the suffering and uh, exploitation of poor people. Yeah, it's just a way to, it's just... The modern prison system in the United States, in my opinion, is just another way to make profit off of poverty. It's just a way to, to turn an already marginalized segment of the population into a profit-making system for the prison industrial complex. That's, that's the only point that I can think of for the prison system as it now stands is to turn profits off of people who would normally not be profitable anyways in terms of in their participation in the traditional labor market. And so incarcerating them and then extracting, uh, you know, uh, microtransactions from them and just making money off of their living in the prison system through taxpayer-funded prisons is is just a way to profit. And it's really sad and disgusting. It is, absolutely. And part of my point in bringing up the thing about Belgium, too, is that, like, there are times when people need to take space from the rest of society, but there are much 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 better ways of doing that that are not making people part of a machine that is truly a way to turn an economic profit in a really disgusting way yeah i think a really great example of this being a sort of uh systemic issue or the the sort of the ways in which the prison system is utilized to um uh, extract and make use of cheap labor is the way that in California that prison prisoners are um, often utilized to fight As fires. Firefighters, yeah. Uh, during which time, if, when they're fighting a fire, they only make about a dollar an hour. And when they're not fighting a fire, they make even less than that. And there have been several reports and instances of these prisoners who, you know, after after completing their sentence and having racked up a great deal of um, experience in their field of fighting fires, they're not able to get, even get jobs as actual firefighters once they get out because they're ex-cons. So it's not, it's not about, like, um, there, there, are, there are serious um, economic undertones to the, the, way, the, reason, or the reasoning behind how this whole thing is set up. Yeah. Uh, my my totally mad that is we've covered that on this show before too and that's that's insane to me you know that like you're playing by the rule book in society right you were like you were contributing to society while in prison you were gaining marketable skills while in prison that actually help other people you're released from prison because you served your time and then you can't even get a job (laughs) with the skills that you built to help society because of your stigma of being part of the prison system like if that's not a broken you know math formula then then I'm not sure. Or not sure a very, very well-running math formula ah. that is 
like simply contrary to what we believe in. Right. Maybe it's designed that way. Maybe, Maybe the evidence of design <laughs> of 100.9 <laughs> FM WXI. You see what I'm getting at, folks? I do see what you're getting at. That Jason, are, what show are we? Do you want to announce it? We're called Evidence of Design, and we're airing on 100.9 FM WXIR in Rochester. We're also live streaming on WXIR. Uh, well, no. We're, well, yes, we are. Uh, we'll be played later through the RCTV Media Center, Spectrum Channel 1301, rctvmediacenter.org, Apple TV, Fire Stick, and Roku. And also, we're live on Facebook right now, Radio so, EOD. Jason, I know you've gone through the first few uh, suggestions um, through the Center for Justice from Columbia University. And it looks like we have a few more things to cover. Do you want to get into those? Mary, you are really great at transitions. So another big point to cover here about these proposals to reform the New York State justice system is about prisons in its entirety. And we've been talking about what is their point. Uh, there are calls to close prisons in New York. Why is because according to the Center for Justice, New York has an excess of 23,000 prison beds. So I think there's around 53,000, well, uh, let me get the number. Uh, basically, there are, um, okay, there are 56,000 prison beds in New York right now. Apparently, there are 33,000 incarcerated people on every given day in, in New York State. And so that makes an excess of 23,000 unused prison beds in New York on average right now. 23,000 prison beds, almost um, a little more than a third of all of our prison capacities unused, according to the Center for Justice's report. So I think there are, there are three things then with that number, 23,000 unused prison beds. There are perhaps three solutions one could get. First, one could think that, well, we need to increase the amount of people in prison to meet <laughs> our <laughs> supply of prison beds, right? we got so many beds. we got to use these beds. <laughs> we got to use the beds, so let's incarcerate more people, right? That, that is one policy solution. No joke. That's one policy solution to this problem of having access to prison beds. I definitely see that being seriously considered. <laughs> yeah. Do I subscribe to that? No, I don't. But uh, that's, so that's one option. You know, there's door A. Uh, uh, arrest and incarcerate more people to fill up our unused prison beds. Door B. You can not do anything about it, right? You could just say, well, it's fine to have an excess amount of prison beds because what happens if a lot of New Yorkers become criminals <laughs> One overnight there's a crime <laughs> pandemic there's a wave on you know wave of crime um wh what about you know it was it's okay to have we didn't have enough hospital beds when COVID <laughs> hit you don't know what's going to happen in the future it's it's certainly better to have more prison beds in case you need it than not enough prison beds in case you do right so there's uh, there's door b door c is you could find some happy medium using sort of math and economics to say well, let's reduce the amount of prison beds to a level that is reasonable according to our traditional use of incarceration in New York. So we could save money by closing excess prisons, but also still have a little bit of a leeway in case, you know, we do get more people incarcerated. That's Dorsey. The Center for Justice and several legislatures, legislators in the New York State legislat legislature proposed going down Dorsey saying we have room to close prisons to save money because there are unused beds and we can still have you know some uh, reserve capacity in case we need to use it so according to the center for justice if we closed uh, 
17,000. Right. If we reduced the amount of unused prison beds by 17,000, meaning there would still be 6,000 unused prison beds on average right now in New York, then we would save uh, $29,000. Uh, oh, no. Oh, my God. My math is we all wrong. We would save $493 million annually. That's the number. Four hundred. So uh, half a billion dollars annually we would save if we closed excess prisons. And keep in mind, all these other proposals we're talking about here uh, on the show today, these proposed reforms to the justice system, would get more people out of the prison system who don't potentially need to be there. So there would actually be even more beds that would be in excess. And also all that money that was saved could potentially be used to more humane forms of rehabilitation. Exactly. And this is the argument that all this money that could be raised from reforming the justice system could be used to help people be more productive citizens in society. It could be used on anti-poverty programs, job skill training programs, mental health support, so that we don't need to rely on the prison system at all. We could raise billions of dollars by lessening our reliance on the prison system and allowing people to be more productive. That is the whole argument behind all of this. This is, too, not a, a new shift in New York. Uh, so according to this this article on North Country Public Radio, um, the inmate population in the last two decades has actually dropped in New York State yep. by about 35% because 13 prisons have been closed under Cuomo. So this isn't a new suggestion. Um, it's it's something that's kind of been ongoing. Yeah, and obviously in the past two years in New York, there's been massive changes to the bail system in New York, and that has gotten a lot of attention, right? The progressives say the bail system is a essentially a tax on poverty saying if you have money you can buy your way out of prison through bail right if you don't have money then you then you're stuck so getting rid of bail makes it an an economic neutral um, system which i think a lot of people would argue is a good thing as opposed to just letting the wealthy buy their ways out probably not good as a society we probably don't think that's okay so there was that big change, and then there's other changes saying that you, you, can, you can release people on their own recognizance is what it's called if they're potentially not going to be – if they're not an immediate threat to anyone, even though they just are allegedly committed a crime, they can be released on their own recognizance until their court date. And uh, a lot of conservatives said, well, you're letting potentially dangerous people back out into the streets. So I want to actually turn our attention now. There, there's other proposals by the Center for Justice um, and the New York State Legislature, such as restoring college access to prison inmates. I think that's a phenomenal thing. I think that's amazing. There's also proposals to legalize marijuana. All in told, these proposals that we've covered so far on the show and are in the report, Unlocking Billions, a fiscal analysis of pending justice reforms in New York State by the Center for Justice, they say that New York could save an average of $1.5 billion annually or $15 billion over the next decade. I want to turn our, our attention now, though, to uh, getting to um, people who would question these reforms, right? Getting to the counter arguments to saying, uh, what would be the roadblocks to this? What would perhaps more conservative folks say to these proposals to lessen our reliance on the prison and justice system? So I actually have a good point to start. As I mentioned earlier in this show, I grew up in a prison town where many people's parents were employed at one of the three prisons in um, in Ogdensburg, New York. And I was reading an article earlier from the North Country where there are a lot of prisons, many prisoners from 
uh, downstate or upstate get sent to the North Country where the population is lower, jobs are harder to find, and a lot of people find jobs at these correctional facilities as corrections officers or other other jobs. But corrections officers in particular uh, seem to be a relatively easy job for someone who only has a high school diploma to attain. Like, as long as you meet a few criteria, you can become a corrections officer. And one of the huge counter-arguments, particularly in the North Country, is that closing these prisons will take away a lot of jobs. And this is something that's been seen. And that is a reason that a lot of people don't like Governor Cuomo, because they've seen uh, these, these prisons closing. And I have a quote from this article, uh, What Happens to a Prison Town When a Prison Closes. Uh, and this is by a Democratic assemblyman, uh, Billy Jones. And he says, I'm not saying that prisons are intended or should be used as an economic driver, but but <laughs> I will say when the state was looking for a place for these facilities, a lot of these communities welcomed them with open arms. Mm-hmm. So that's from a Democratic assemblyman who is obviously questioning closure, closure of prisons because it's going to take away a lot of jobs. And truly, a lot of businesses have closed. Uh, a lot of people have seen a decrease in foot traffic from the corrections officers not stopping by their restaurant or stopping by whatever kind of store they have. But is that an argument for keeping prisons open? I don't think so. It is, however, an argument for using some of that saved money to encourage job growth in these areas. Mm -hmm. And it's the same argument with coal country, right? It's the same exact picture with coal country where, uh, you know, it's not like we're necessarily against windmills, although golly, they're ugly and destroy my vista or whatever. But, um, you know, coal country, jobs, if you take away these, where else are we going to work? And and this this is the point of our show, folks, is that there are structural problems with our modern economy, and there will always be problems in the economy with human history. Right now, we are facing severe crises with our economy in terms of automation, with 5G networks coming out too, that more and more things will get automated. And you won't have the jobs that you do now or that were there 10, 20 years ago because of automation. It's natural that more things will get automated and there will be less jobs. We've lost manufacturing in this country because it's been more profitable to send it overseas. There's less manufacturing jobs. This is a problem, right? Where, where are people going to do work and make a living in the 21st century? And so I would say to these people who would be worried about a prison closing in their town because where else would they do work? And although it might not be the most noble thing or the best thing for society to profit off of the incarceration of other human beings, it is what it is. They, if you can't do the time, don't do the crime, I need a job, this is where I'm getting the money. I would say to these people that I would lend out a hand and say, join us then as laborers. I'm a laborer. You are a laborer. We're all trying to figure out what to do in this economy and society to make money and, and put a roof over our heads. I would extend a hand and say, join us then and figure out how to make government work for everyone. And one way to do that is to increase the funding for government through increasing taxation on the wealthiest individuals to provide a stronger social safety net and job training programs. There is so much 
for instance, potential in this country to have massive infrastructure projects across the entire country in a million different ways, whether it's for better internet, roads, bridges, dams, airports, sewers, trains, trains, transportation. There are so many potential to that. These people working in coal industry could have a equally paying job and a safer job and a healthier job doing infrastructure. These people guarding incarcerated people in prison could do infrastructure, right? That's just one idea. And we can do that if we join together and recognize our class position as workers and advocate for a stronger government that can look after our own interests. Don't give in to the temptation of the free market that says, let's all just find our own individual ways to make it. And if we have to step on some other folks to get there, that's okay, because it's a dog-eat-dog world. And if I have to profit off of the incarceration of others, well, it's their choice that they did something wrong to be incarcerated. We can do better. And that's what I would say to those people is I'm sorry. <laughs> really? Like I, it's, I'm scared. Like I can understand how to be scared. You know, I would be frightened too. I mean, to be honest, there was a moment when I was in middle or high school that, uh, the state was looking at closing one of the prisons in my town and people, I mean, my dad was a, a librarian at one of the prisons Obviously, that's an an unusual job to have in a prison, but it it is a job that one has in a prison, and state jobs pay quite well. People were terrified. Mm -hmm. Half of the town, literally, would, or, you know, a quarter, because there were a few prisons spread out, but a lot of people stood to lose their jobs, and there weren't other places to turn to. There weren't other jobs to be had if you only have a high school diploma, which many people do only have. And if you're in your 40s or 50s, you might not have the savings to go to college. You might not be ready or willing to go to college anymore because you'd be surrounded by 20-year-olds. And that is a really difficult shift. And there wasn't anything offered by the state to help those people adjust to finding different jobs. I think that is what we're missing is the state. And and Cuomo has said, you know, know, prisons shouldn't be job markets uh so you know what what people need are jobs they don't need the prisons and that is true but then the state isn't offering an alternative right. that is super important and i mean we had rallies to keep the prison open exactly so, yeah. and i attended you know i was in right. high school and that was like this is important for our town mm-hmm. that's what we got to do but it you know yeah. we can be more creative if we are able to get the assistance that we need that's a huge point, Mary. And this is, this is what changed in the economy after the 60s and 70s, where you used to have unionized laborers or even non-unionized laborers who had solidarity with each other as workers. And let's say that a, an auto manufacturing plant, right? Let's say GM or Ford. These workers would strike. They would all say, we are not working today collectively to fight for better wages to fight for better, you know, hours, fight for better benefits. And uh, ideally, the, the capitalists, the owners of the factory would give in to the demands that the workers are calling for. And that's what happened for maybe 50 or so years in this country. Until the 1970s, when neoliberalism or the idea that the government should take a less role in our economy and let the free market decide everything, what you have now, Mary, is that workers, instead of fighting, instead of <laughs> fighting to stop working, like instead of, instead of striking, so saying, I'm not going to work because I want better benefits. Now workers are fighting to keep their jobs. 
They're not fighting to have better jobs. They're fighting to have any form of employment, right? You have this with auto, now instead of workers at GM and Ford striking to have better wages, they're fighting to have the factory not move to Mexico. Now yeah. at prisons, they're fighting to keep prisons open, to keep incarcerating people because they have nowhere else to go. That workers have lost their power to fight for better means of living because they're just fighting for jobs. Right. They're not it's fighting for better desperate. jobs. They're fighting for a job at all. You know, so, so this is the problem with our economy and we need government intervention to fix this because the private market for the past 50 years has proved themselves incapable to do so. And the problems that we're in today, I believe, are largely because of a rampant free market and lack of government intervention. And so if you have a government that can do massive infrastructure projects, just for instance, there are other ways that we could do that. Job training for more coding and techn- technology, you know, technology jobs, etc., we can, we can get to a better place. Won't be easy. Of course there's going to be suffering. They're suffering right now, you know, and, but we can get to a better place as society if we fight for a stronger government intervention. So that's a, that's a really powerful point, Mary. Thank you for sharing that. Certainly. I would wonder, too, what others would say who would worry about these prison reforms on evidence of design, 100.9 FM, WXIR in Rochester, just sort of having this... Um, you know, this base level intuition to say, why would we, uh, crime, you know, crime, why are we being so easy on criminals? If people are criminals, they deserve to do the time. The same thing goes with immigration on the border. Republicans are salivating right now at the, uh, the migrant crisis on the border, saying that it's the weak Biden administration who has, who has all these immigrants at the border. And if Trump was in power, they wouldn't be there because you have to be strong and you have to punish people to get them to stop doing behavior that you don't want them to do. And so what would you, Matt or Mary, say to these two perhaps more conservative people or conservative Democrats to say that, uh, why are you being so easy on criminals? Why this bail reform? Why this release on your own recognizance stuff? Why more parole? These are criminals. Why should we give up our jobs for these criminals, right? Why are we going to close this prison so we can let criminals go back into society? I was thinking about what Mary shared earlier um, about uh, shutting the prison down in her hometown. And oh, for the record, also that the prison didn't end up closing. Right. Um, I think it's just it's much easier for people in this country, for good reason, to imagine the government or or corporate interests um, just taking something from them than actually providing them anything. Um, you know, it's it's much easier to imagine uh, an uncaring, unthinking, you know, overly bureaucratic government because that's largely what we have in America. It's so difficult for people in real financial desperation to get the help that they need. Um, and it is, to some extent, designed to be that way. So, you know, my thinking on this is that the the the... The sort of, I guess, expectation of what government can really be for people is so twisted and maligned by just decades, if not centuries, of of um, being let down by it. That's a good point, Matt. And it's also kind of fair. And it, it is really hard to change our perspective, I think, when especially like looking at people from the town I grew up in that didn't really see a lot of funding from the government. 
you know, they saw their taxes going elsewhere. And, and that is hard to get around. And that's work that needs to be done. And like I said, the state does need to offer alternatives for for when they're closing prisons to offer jobs because that's not happening at the moment. Um, I'm sorry, Jason, I blanked on your question that I was about to answer. Well, just what would you say to people who don't want to be easy on criminals because they did their time and why are we just being so soft and gushy on people? Why would I give up my job in the justice system to, to let a criminal go free? Right. And I, well, yeah, I think there the question is what is crime and what does it mean? Why are people committing crimes? You know, we could kind of go back to Les Mis, you know, by Victor Hugo, where someone was incarcerated because they stole a loaf of bread because they were starving. What kind of measures forced that person to steal? And to what degree is stealing a loaf of bread? Like, is that violence on someone or is it violence on, from the state on that person for forcing them to starve because they were forced into poverty. So I think asking ourselves, what is crime and who is actually committing the crime or the violence? Is it these people, you know, individuals who are not always in poverty, but in many cases in poverty who are trying to survive? Are they the ones causing the violence and the crime? Or is it the state or, uh, or the, the system that is causing violence by not offering the support for their citizens. I would just like to add, you probably have more in common with the people who are inmates in prison than the people who own the prisons. (laughs) Indeed. We should end today's show on that point. Thanks for tuning in to Evidence of Design on 100.9 FM WXIR as we talked about proposals to reform the justice system in New York State. You can read the report that we were citing today by the Center for Justice at centerforjustice.columbia.edu. It's called Unlocking Billions, a Fiscal Analysis of Pending Justice Reforms in New York State. Evidence of Design is archived as a podcast. Anywhere where you get your podcast, you can check out our past episodes. We're also on YouTube by searching for Evidence of Design. Big thanks to WXIR and RCTV for being a bedrock for grassroots community Uh, content, journalism, media, reporting, employment, and training opportunities for Rochester. I was your host, Jason Taylor, on Evidence of Design. I was also joined by my good friends and co-hosts, Matt Treadwell. Bye-bye. And Mary Lawrence. Be well. Until next time, be well, be safe, take care, and bye-bye.